so Paul, last time you were on the show was a very special event. I, I crashed your party for the for the live talk show at Yeah, the, you were actually not invited. The, <laughs> you were like uh, at a backstage and then all of a sudden you, you came out. I don't, I don't well, know. Well, I, I brought a drink. I, I was Oh yeah, that was right. Yeah. That was that was well received. And then uh and then you were talking about uh about just the tip with Amy. So I, I, right. I crashed your party, like I said. Right, but she was actually invited to be on the show. But this time I'm invited, right? I don't need to leave now. No. And okay. I get, you did kind of keep your mouth shut. I mean, you weren't really. I didn't come out in there. I didn't come out there and blather. I just, right. you know, I don't know. But in between, now that was uh, like the second week of June, and we're recording right now on the, the 10th of November. In between, you and, and my wife Amy have had an entire season of, uh, of a podcast, the Just the Tip. That's right. How many episodes did you end up doing? It was 15 episodes for season one. You guys were t- planning originally just on 10, though. We were talking between 10 and 13, and then we had an advertiser that was interested to do a couple more episodes, and, and we're big sellouts. <laughs> so so you you know. figured out a way to slip some more shows in. <laughs> we, we wrote some more material, exactly. So how do you think it went? I think I've been pretty happy with it. And, and I'll tell you what, I get more feedback for that for the past couple months than I have for the software company that I've run for a decade. So <laughs> it doesn't make quite as much money. It's not really paying my bills, but you know, it's, uh, it's been well received. I think people like podcasts. I'm shocked. Cause I hate them. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> I don't, well, I shouldn't say I hate them, but I don't listen to them. I listen to, uh, I listen to our podcast over and over again as I'm editing it, which is the worst thing in the world. Uh, and I listen to some of the talk show and I listen to you look nice today, which is sadly, about to end forever isn't it over i thought that was that the i thought the one that just came out last week was the final episode is it really well it was part one but it, was that a joke you think i i couldn't uh i haven't actually had a chance to listen to that one yet i i've been saving it see that's what going to it's like it's like reading the I, there's like one david foster wallace novel i haven't read yet and i'm kind right. of saving that you know because you know there aren't going to be any more exactly right and that's a dangerous game to play because it's been a couple years now on david foster wallace Um, you could die any moment exactly and then you know what was the point you know (laughs) you know there's how long do you save something like that probably not a good idea to save it at all but i I felt the same way with you look nice today yeah but yeah so i don't uh well you know what it is i you work from home the same way i do i don't have a commute and everyone i know who listens to podcasts says like oh it's the best thing it gets me through the you know 45 minute hour drive that i have or whatever it is and my commute is you know 10 steps down from my bedroom so i have to be a real short podcast right i i listen to them uh, a lot of times if i'm walking and doing errands or something like that through the city i'll you know load one up on the iphone and then i'll have something to listen to as i walk through the city but it's i just don't have as much commute time as you know i don't have any commute time Right. Well, so I almost I almost finished last week's talk show before we started recording this one. So I'm I got like half an hour left on that one. So I'm almost done. Yeah, I've been I, I've been letting it slip. I've been letting it go way too long. Although I'm gonna cu- t- I'm cut it off. I'm just at like 45 minutes. I'm just gonna go. Yeah, you should just go. Well, and it's funny because uh, it gets to the nature of what people. Do you know when they listen to podcasts? And for people with, let's just say, and this is very common, in, especially in, in America, that you might have an hour commute each way. So you right. have two hours a day, and that's 10 hours a week. And yep. so if you have 10 hours a week in your car, 
uh, then a two and a half hour, two, I think it was almost two and a half hour episode half of hour, the yeah. talk show. If you like hearing me talk and if you like John Syracuse, we got so many people who are like, oh my God, I was so happy when I saw Syracuse was on the show. And then I saw how long it was and I got even happier. Right, right. But I'm sure there's also, and there's also, I think, a silent, I don't know if it's a majority, I don't know, but I'm sure there's a part of you out there who who are like, oh my God, I love the show, but come on, two hours, Jesus, <laughs> you know, how about some editing? And the worst part is it was edited. <laughs> oh, so the real, the real recording was like four or five hours? I don't know, I think it was closer to three, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and we could, if I had the fourth thought, you know, because I do the sponsor reads while I'm doing the show. And I right. guess what I could do is not do that. And then if it ends up that a guest is on and we get three feels like solid hours, I could call that two shows. And, right. You know, and then just record the bits in, you know, the sponsor reads in later, uh, you know. But it was the way that I did the sponsor reads, I couldn't really – it wouldn't have been easy to break it into two episodes. To cut it out. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because that would be great, because then I could just take a week off and still have a show. <laughs> then you don't have to do anything, yeah. Right. But I'm going to try. I'm gonna, I'm, I want to get back. To, I wanna try to, I'm going to try to do this one in an hour. All right. What are we at? 20 minutes. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it flies. Time flies. Right. Now, you and Amy, though, you on just the tip, you guys stuck. Did, did I know at the beginning, you guys even, I think you even said on air that you we, were going to go It was a promise. Yeah, it was 30 minutes. more than half an hour. Yeah. And did we you, were... We managed to do it, yeah. It's uh, so in the beginning we recorded and we just talked and talked, and then I had to chop that down. And eventually I realized, hey, I should make us have a hard cutoff of like sixty minutes, and then I'll only have to edit thirty minutes out. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that we cut out that you know maybe was a little bit funny or, or pretty funny, but we really wanted to hit that thirty minute point. So it's it's, it's tough. Not editing is the way to go if you if you can do it. Yeah, You've been you able guys to get have away a- with it. Yeah, and I I I don't edit my show. Uh, my my friend at Mule, Caleb Sexton, does, and he does a hell of a job. But he doesn't really edit edit for content, right? Uh, for the most part, I mean, he'll call it. He's great though. He's he's a longtime listener of the show and and gets it. Like he totally gets what the show, if it's good, what it is that's good about it. And he will call it out, and he'll ask, like he'll say, like if an entire bit really bored him then he'll suggest taking it out and i i don't think i've ever disagreed okay um but for the most part whole bits don't get edited out it's you know maybe a bit of stammering and and if there's you know like a mistake or something like that right um and i think he does a great job he does a good job making me sound a lot better but um he doesn't edit you know like film editing which is like what you and amy did with just the tip where you guys it's a pain in the ass. I don't recommend it, but I I'm, I am happy with the product that we get out of it. And I think uh, we were talking about people that like a long show, and, and certainly plenty of people do. But it's difficult to argue with a short show that's hopefully pretty punchy. So. Right. Uh, which is, and you know, I, I'm sure you know if people who listen to dozens of podcasts can name others that do it. But it's it it does lead lend itself to a higher production level feel. Um. And you know, you look nice today. Always did that, and they did. Yeah, they always had the nice thing where they have the little jingles in between yep. the edited segments, which gives it more of a, uh, you know, like a segmenty feel. Like when there's those transitions, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I thought you were. I listened to almost every episode of Just the Tip. I think. I don't know. I think so. But uh, 
I like the edited nature of it, but I did think every once in a while, sometimes the transition between segments was abrupt. Yeah, you could. And and part of it is, you know, this was the first time I was editing a podcast. So part of it was just getting used to editing. And, and yeah, there definitely were points where you could hear a, a cut. And, you know, we had my friend Todd who did all these theme songs for the show. And so I was thinking about nicking that idea from You Look Nice Day of just putting like a little musical interlude five seconds between things. I, I might I might wind up doing that if I find that I, I do wind up having those those cuts that are really obvious. Especially now that they're off the air. Yeah, absolutely. We can like, steal whatever we want from that. Fair game to steal everything from those guys. <laughs> I'm going to get John Hodgman to record stuff for us. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that was what I tell you what, that was one of the most surprising things to me. Cause Amy and I, you know, just, you know, it's not that I don't think she listens to this show, frankly, she might listen if you're on, but, uh, <laughs> she listens when it's somebody she likes. Yeah. That's what she said. Um, but she didn't really run much by me, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I, I didn't know much in advance of any given week's episode until it actually hit, you know, so I was very surprised the first time I heard a theme song and it was, you know, right. it was good. But then the next week when it had like a all new theme song that was just as good, it was like bizarre to me because that's like the, one of the hardest thing. How do you get a good theme song? It's very well, hard to do. Well, so this is my buddy Todd, who's, uh, I shouldn't. Well, I'm on a different show, so I think I can I can rat him out a little bit. But he's working on his doctorate, and when he wants to slack off, he just fiddles in GarageBand. Uh, and since we had about ten different theme songs, he's been, you know, uh, what's the word I want? You know, just slacking off quite a bit, I think. Right, but it was amazing to me though because they were, you know, pretty good. Yeah, we were we were very happy with them, and and certainly we were grateful to to have this this supplied to us. So, uh, and I always thought that you know that was a real gift for you. to Look nice today is that I don't know if it was Sandy or whoever. I don't know. Did Sandy make all those? I never even got the story on where those you know, uh, all the John Hodgman recordings. Well, and then, you know, and like or the, the music too. Yeah, and the music. I think he did the music at least. Yeah, uh, we should ask him. Yeah, I guess. I just always assumed it was him. I know Scott doesn't do music, and I don't think. Well, I think Merlin screws around, but he doesn't screw around with that type of music. But anyway, those jingles they had for the interstitials, you know, between the segments were gave that show such an incredibly polished feel. Mm -hmm. And and I thought that you guys had sort of the same thing with the just the tip uh, theme songs. Theme but it was so yeah. crazy that they were different every time. Yeah, well, so when when we got one, it was like, all right, we can use this. And then and then he gave me like three more, and I was like, well, these are all great. Uh, and none of them are obviously better than the others, so I might as well just use a new one every week. Uh, so, it, you know, there's no brand recognition or anything like that that you're going to get from this, but that's all right. See, that's, and that's, for me, it's like the main reason why I, you know, from the get-go, all the way back to, you know, the original runs of this show with Dan, uh, that we've never had any kind of theme song or anything like that. Because my thought is, if you can't find one that's great, then it's better not to have any at all. And, right. and too many podcasts I think out there have like the equivalent of like, like Muzak, yeah, like Times New Roman, you know, yeah, I mean? okay. like you've got, you know, Times New Roman and Helvetica on your computer. And so you're going to use those. Right. right. Uh, you know, not bad, but like, so clearly like just generic that it's, it doesn't feel real. It's like not there's somehow there's like. A line you can press, you know, put a song or a jingle or a theme song over that makes it feel real and original. And there's something else that's just like generic. Pulling from the library of like 10 podcast theme songs that exist in GarageBand, maybe. Exactly. Like, you know, and just altering it a little bit. 
I get, you know, sort of like the difference between an original blog design and just using a template. Right. You know, that's that like, uh, like one of the default WordPress templates, which isn't bad necessarily. Right. And, you know, a lot of those, uh, you know, it's, it's like the ante has been raised so high in template design, you know, like the default WordPress templates, if you do like a fresh install today are actually pretty good, you know, right. and, and Squarespace and those guys all have really good time. I mean, it's in, uh, it's the big one, Tumblr, you know. You, when you sign up for Tumblr, you have some really good templates to choose from now. But they're still, you know, they're not original. Right. And and a hundred other sites are gonna have that same one or more right. than that, probably. I so I always thought, you know, why not just have none if you know, which at like the time completely, was but what would a none template look like? Well, I don't know. Like Daring Fire. White page. Well <laughs> well, but that's I mean, you styled that. Like you created that style. All right. But it's closer to none than you know. The WordPress Tumblr, yeah, okay. Right. I guess what it would be the equivalent would be maybe it'd be more like the equivalent of having a blog that doesn't even have a logo. Okay, something like that. Yeah, like if you can't have a good logo, don't have any logo instead of a bad logo. I don't know. I might be overthinking it. <laughs> no, you. No, not me. Uh, let's take a break, and uh, if we're going to get this done in an hour, let's see if we can do this. Uh, All right. And I'm going to I'm going to take a break for our first sponsor, and I'm very very happy about this brand new sponsor. First time on the show is Lynda.com. That's Linda with a Y. With a Y, right? With a Y. Now they're long. I've been around for a long time. Uh, it's online training, education material, books, that sort of thing. Uh, you can learn at your own pace. They've been around so long, but they have never like let off the pedal on like pushing how much they do. It's amazing to me. They have over 2,000 courses that you can take online uh, and a really wide gamut of material. I remember originally when they got started, it was mostly like, I don't know if this is quite fair, but I, maybe it was just my own unique perspective, but it was mostly, to my mind, lynda.com, like back in the 90s, was about was for graphic designers moving to the web. And it was like, here, you, we know what you know. You know like Photoshop and Illustrator. We're going to teach you how to take those skills to the web and do it for real. But now they have everything. And for people who listen to the talk show, they've got some great Apple-specific stuff. Uh, they have Unix for Mac OS 10 users. So if, you know, if you've always thought, you know, I wish I could learn more about Unix and the Unix type stuff on Mac OS 10, where to start? They have a great course for that. Uh, Objective C. So if you ever, you know, if you're the sort of person who wants to get into Cocoa or, uh, iOS Cocoa touch programming, they have courses for that. Uh, they have material for iCloud. If you want to, uh, you know, become an expert on iCloud, Final Cut Pro, uh, everything, anything you you might want to get better at at the Mac, GarageBand, uh, you name it. Uh, photography, videography, uh, audio. If you want to, you know, uh, edit Paul's Paul and Amy show next season, you could learn that from Lynda.com. Uh, just so much stuff. Like I said, over 2,000 courses, new courses being added daily, and great teachers. This isn't just like random crap from anybody. That's the thing that, that's made lynda.com so famous is that they hire the best people to do this and pay them to create really high-quality uh, material, high-quality video, great production value, uh, 
just light years ahead of like the homemade crap that you're just going to find if you search for stuff on YouTube. I mean, this is really, really good stuff. High, high production value. Uh, so where do you go to find out more? Easy. Go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash the talk show. That'll get you there. Uh, it'll let them know you're coming from this show. And you get to try lynda.com for free. I've worked out a special deal with them for listeners of the show. Use that code and you can access the entire library for free uh, and see what it is. It's a great deal. Uh, It's so much stuff to learn. And it's such a great way, I think, learning with the videos uh, to learn to just to get better at at anything like that. Anything that's on your list for becoming better at. I'm sure you're going to find it at lynda.com. So my thanks to them. Do you ever think that, you know the logo for lynda.com? Yeah. Can you picture it? She looks like she needs a new prescription on her glasses, doesn't she? <laughs> you know, I met her years ago. That's at, right, because it's a, I mean, the, the logo's a, a cartoon, but it's a, right. it's a real woman named Linda something. I forget, but it's so funny. I forget her last name, but I remember meeting her at Macworld, New York. Uh-huh. Yeah, they probably tells had a booth you, or something. tells you how long ago it was. It was yeah, Macworld, right. New York. No, I remember it was at Macworld, New York, in the uh, Javits Center, New York. That's the New York version of Moscone. Uh, right. And I remember their booth was swarmed, just packed. It was just knee-deep because of all the designer-type people in New York who, who you know, wanted to learn how to make websites and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the news this week, a couple of things that jumped out at me. Uh, all right, what do we got? Well, I I sent you the uh, the thing. What's her name? The the woman from the New York Times who wrote this. Uh, she's an economics reporter. Oh, right. Wrote, yeah, I I just read over this, and and now I don't remember the name either. She wrote a piece in their Sunday magazine a week ago. Catherine Rampell. That's right. Alleging, pretty much flat out alleging. There's no real. Uh, you know, uh, maybe to it, alleging that Apple like booby traps their iPhones so that when new models come out, it instantly knows and starts slowing down, and right, your, and, your old phone starts. And the being battery, terrible. the battery doesn't last as long. Uh, and it, when it when she wrote the first piece, I linked to a rebuttal in of all places Gizmodo, and I okay. wrote something to the effect of. You know, cats are chasing dogs because here's here's giz- common sense coming from Gizmodo to straighten and the New York out, Times to straighten out nonsense in the New York Times. Like, right? What the hell is going on with the world? That's what you got to do. But in the meantime, since she's like doubled down on this, she has like a follow up post on the the economics blog at the New York Times where she she reiterated know, some of the stuff and and explained some of the the contentions she had made right she was on cnn uh you know. there was a segment on cnn what was the, the head day uh, the headline it was uh this is like on real cnn it was uh hold on here i'm firing it up uh, well the, apple the, conspiracy the, right is there an apple conspiracy or something right and it's uh who's whose law is it uh with headlines that whatever if you have a question mark headline and it can just be answered with yes or no then betteridge's law Right, that's right. That's the answer right. is always no. Right, right, exactly. Uh, well, th- that was the thing: is the headline on her original piece, which you can still see in the in the slug in the URL, was uh, it was something like "Why Apple Wants to Bust Your iPhone," and then they changed the headline to you know something wishy washy like uh, right. the Apple Trap or something. 
All right, who was I? I was talking about that with somebody. Was it Dan Fromer? I think it was Dan Fromer like a week or two ago on this show, probably two weeks ago because Syracuse was on last week, about on so many CMSs, you can see an original headline that got toned down subsequently. Bloomberg does it all the time. Bloomberg, it seems like they really, they'll put out like a real punchy headline for five minutes and then somebody will be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, you know, let's water that down. But you can see it in the URL. Right. And at a certain point, do you think it's intentional and they you know, tone it down after the fact, after they've gotten some of the, the links that they wanted in the first place? No, I don't think so. I think it's more that the pressure to publish fast and, you know, it, it means that the the oversight that would happen before, you know. It happen- It comes after the fact. They basically say, oh, we should have toned that down in the first place. Right. Like, like in the old days before the web, let's, you know, go back to 1988. You know, that if she wrote the same article for the New York Times magazine, at some point before they actually put the magazine to press, somebody would have looked, some conservative copy editor would have looked at the headline and said, hey, we got to, you know, this this is, you know, this is the New York Times, we can't do this. Whereas now, it's like 4 o'clock, she's done, 4.15, it's gone through copy editing, 4.20, it gets published and like maybe 440, somebody else looks at it and is like, right. hey, the headline, you know, it's already been published and, you know, you know, and I do it. Too. I certainly, it's, I, you know, I, there's, it's stupid to pretend that the web is print and that once you've hit published, you know, it's sacrosanct, you can't correct anything or, or, you know, change it or whatever. I mean, if you change it significantly, I think you should mark it Put somehow. Put an update in there, yeah. Yeah, almost as a courtesy, not like as a self-flagellation, but almost as a courtesy to readers who maybe read the original version and think, think they're might, going crazy. Right, think they're going yeah. crazy. You know, just, you know, if you've already seen it, no, this is what it used to say, and now it says this. Right. Um, but this didn't sit right with me, and it hasn't, and I... I the whole the whole basis of her her argument you mean yeah and and it's it's a little bit more than just hey the new york times wrote something really almost slanderous about apple um and i think i think what it is is and it just didn't occur to me at first is that it's not just that it's wrong but that i think it's actually completely opposite i i think that in consumer electronics say what you want you know you know, there's all sorts of ways to be cynical about Apple, but I think overall, even if you're not a fan of their products, even if you're an Android person or Windows user or, or you know, pick pick any other competing platforms, I really do think it's fair to say that Apple takes care of existing, existing customers, customers and yeah. older devices better than anybody else. Well, I, I really, mean, look at look at Android, and you know. Look at how many devices never get an update or, you know, six months after their release, they're considered out of date and don't get a new version of the operating system. Right. right. And, and is that better? Right. And look at, at the Nexus itself, which is the one from Google, which is the full Google experience and which they control the software updates to. Like one of the biggest parts of the Nexus hardware line isn't just that you get the you don't have any carrier add-on crap. Right, you get in the, the stock OS. Android. It's also that you get your updates direct from Google, uh, Apple style. Right. And so with Android four point four, which just came out like ten days ago, it it's only available for two models of phone: the brand new one and the Nexus four. The the two models back Galaxy Nexus, which was still being sold 
in the beginning of calendar 2013 as like a discounted Nexus. Right. And it's only two years old, period. If you bought it on day one, already has been cut off from Google's own OS. Right. And, and they say, you know, their explanation is that, uh, you know, it uses a Texas Instruments chipset that Texas Instruments, you know, Texas Instruments has since in the interim two years stopped updating or whatever. But it's like, that doesn't even make any sense, though. It doesn't make any sense to the customer who bought one two years ago. Right. That's the thing that really matters is as a user, if you think, you know, I got this sometime even this year, you're saying, and suddenly it's out of date, that there's no there's no explanation that's going to make you think, okay, that makes sense. Right. I, and so I really feel like it's it's just like the, the, the what makes it so pernicious is that it really is actually the opposite of, you know, what's good about Apple. So here's another example. I know she's talking about phones, but look at um, Mavericks. Mavericks. Mavericks yeah. is a free upgrade. To for, machines that are as old as six years old. Yeah. Now, I, I don't think it's every device from every Mac from 2007, but there but are some of, them. some of the Macs from 2007 are eligible for Mavericks. And the only reason they drew the line there is that, you know, it not out of spite, like, well, we want you to buy a new Mac if you're still using a 2006 one, but, you know, that that's the line where I think Apple thinks, well, no, Mavericks would, if we made it work, it would be worse. Right. Well, so if anything, I mean, there has been reports, there have been reports in the past of phones getting more sluggish when they updated to the new OS, right? You've heard this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I don't, and, I, I don't doubt it either. Right. Exactly. I mean, you're running new, new software on old hardware and the software was built for the new hardware that has now come out. So potentially, you know, it, it would make sense that this would not work as well as the new devices, obviously, but even as well as the old software running on that device. But if they're guilty of something, it's, you know, not cutting things off when they should. It's not an issue of them, you know, maliciously trying to make your phone lousy so that you'll go buy a new one. I don't, I think of, of all the guests you've had on your show, I might have sort of the uh, most complicated relationship with Apple. Certainly. I think that's and, actually very true. Right. I mean, we've, we, as, as a company, Rogue Amoeba has had multiple issues with, the, with Apple and their app stores and, you know, not, not anything we need to get into. But as, as, even as an individual, as a user, I have a complicated relationship with their products. I love their products. I hate some of their policies. But I can't look at this and think like, yep, they're really trying to screw people over with their iPhone 4 uh, and make them buy a new phone. It just doesn't, it doesn't read to me. It doesn't scan as, as realistic. Right. Uh, and I like again, I I know that there are people out there who had let's say an iPhone 4 or even a 4S and then they upgraded to iOS 7 and the phone really got slow or or well, the and, battery and that was with 7.00, right? Cuz there was some of right. this was addressed with some of the updates. Right. But it's definitely not the case. I, and in fact, I've tested it. it just it's in the last week. I like actually because I keep all my old iPhones. I actually fired up my old iPhone four, okay. uh, and I didn't even fresh install it. Jonas had been using it for a year or more as his, you know, like gaming device. So without wiping anything out, a device that he had used, you know, after I fresh and you know reinstalled it. Um, or wiped it, whatever you want to call it, but that he'd used for at least a solid year. I just did the, okay, you know, a software update is available. Drop it on there. Yeah. Did, you know, just like a regular consumer would. Okay. Allow it. Um, you know, is it as snappy as 
my iPhone 5S? No, oh, but of it, it was it's absolutely usable. You know, right. is it not quite as snappy as iOS 5, which is what was where where he was upgrading from? Maybe in some ways, some of the animations, but overall, no, I think it's fine. And I think there are things like Safari, which Apple has, you know, like the WebKit in Safari has continued to improve. Like it, it's faster than it used right. to be. You know, JavaScript is faster. Yeah, uh, this isn't. So you have you have some experience having tested this yourself. I can't. I shouldn't say that I've tested this and you know I I didn't experience this. But all I've heard and and what her article started out with was anecdotal evidence. Right. And it was it, nobody had any facts. Nobody had any no facts exactly. And and so the whole the whole story which blew up. I mean, not to the extent of like AntennaGate or anything like that, but it blew up to the point where you know other news institutions were covering this and and taking it seriously. The whole thing was based on or predicated on you know oh, my phone's a little slower than it used to be. I think. Yeah. Uh And so here's where I think the fact that it's the New York Times makes it worse, is that the New York Times is still the New York Times. And when something's in the New York Times, it's it has more gravity. Carries more weight. Yeah. So here's an article from Inc. Magazine, which I didn't even know was still around, but, you know, inc.com, Inc. Eric Sherman has an article from sometime in the last week. Headline, planned obsolescence, question mark, that trick only works at Apple. Apple is worth emulating in many ways, but not when it comes to how the company intentionally limits the lifespan of its products. Um, and it was, was this a response to her? Well, piece? here, here just let me, I'll read the beginning. The notion of planned obsolescence or the practice of designing products so they have a limited effective lifespan may seem like some smart practical economics to some. And at times that is true, but for entrepreneurs, the, the Deliberately limiting the life of products and services is a bad mistake. When iOS 7 came whistling down the data pipe to older model iPhones, it must have first seemed like an early holiday present. No cost and all sorts of new goodies. But as Catherine Rampell wrote in the New York Times, good news turned to bad as her iPhone 4 became, quote, a lot more sluggish. And then it's a quote from her article and whatever. But anyway, the gist of it is the way that he starts it is, look, if the New York Times says it makes your iPhone 4 slow, then it makes your iPhone 4 slow. And they did it on purpose so that people will upgrade. Because the New York Times said this. Right. Right. And I really do think that makes it worse. Here, it, it has given me an idea for an article. I don't know who could do it. It would have to be somebody like The Verge or Engadget or, or one of those outfits where they have a staff of people, including you know, staff members who use Android devices full time. Mm -hmm. um, because one thing we know is that, you know, the batteries that are in these devices definitely get worse at the more you use them, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's like a year old device that's been charged 300 times is not going to have the battery life that it did when it was brand new. That's right, just that how was, batteries work. That was, that was one of the most galling things about this was it was talking about uh, the batteries and it, it was saying, like, you know, should they put in a better battery that didn't... It, that battery doesn't exist. Right. They are, exactly. They're putting in the best battery they can, and as much of that battery as they can, because they know everyone wants battery life. If anything, you know, that's the one thing that they're absolutely not doing. Right. One of the... Yeah, exactly. One of the, her proposals was, should Apple be putting in a battery that doesn't lose any capacity at right. time? And it's like... <laughs> No, because it doesn't exist. Should somebody invent that battery? Yes, please. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure Apple would love to talk to you if you've invented such a battery. 
I'll bet you can get a very nice check out of Tim Cook <laughs> if you can invent a battery that doesn't lose capacity. I'm also sure, though, that if you invented such a battery, I'm sure there are some physics departments around the country that would love would, to talk to you. Yeah, would love. You might to get a call from Sweden after that one. Yeah, because there's you know there's certain laws of. Uh, I don't know if it's thermodynamics or what you want, you know, but, you know, there's a conservation. There's a reason why batteries lose power the more you use them. Right. It's it's physics. Uh, so, so sorry, I cut you off when no. you were talking about the battery, but that was that stuck out to me so much. But I would love to see, and I, I you know, I, am I biased? Maybe, but I would bet money, though, that a year-old iPhone that's been used full-time, Regularly, not like a review yeah. unit, but like, you know, like I could volunteer my year old iPhone five, run it through the same battery test that you do when you were testing the brand new devices mm-hmm. and see what the difference is. You know, does a year old Samsung galaxy hold 4, up as well, you know, not just one that's been sitting on a shelf, but I'm saying one that like, a you know, like a nerd tech no, real world usage. Absolutely. Has used for a year. Uh, what's the battery life when it's a year old? You know, I, I would, I feel pretty good. I would I would wager a, a wee bit of money that Apple devices, percentage wise, hold up better than most, or I mean, at least as good. I would be exactly. shocked if it was worse. It's certainly not something where it's going to be worse. Exactly. Right. I would. I'd have to agree there. I would be flabbergasted if Apple devices lost more capacity over the same amount of usage as others. And I would guess that if anything, it might be better. Right. But the what? articles make it sound as though it's only Apple. Right, right. And, and yeah, really pinned this on them and, uh, and made it sound like, oh, they're putting in terrible batteries and they're rushing it out software updates that'll hurt your phone. And right. yeah, the whole, thing, the whole thing was, like I said, predicated on these uh, you know, personal experience that may or may not even be true and didn't have any factual basis or you know, any, any facts backing it up. And then the one last thing that really bothers me about this whole narrative is that to me, it's also predicated on a very sort of longstanding, they call it the cult of Mac theory. The idea that, uh, that, you know, I know there's a website called the cult of Mac now, but that people have called it a cult, you know, and right. And Moltz has always been a, a guy who's called it out. Um, I mean, it's a straw. You're talking about the straw man argument of where Apple fans will defend anything, basically, and will right? buy anything, right, right? Right. No matter what Apple comes out with, they'll buy it. Uh, and I think that really plays into this because that's this. You know, like just look at this headline in Inc. Planned obsolescence. That trick only works at Apple. Because think about what they're saying. What they're saying is, including Catherine Rampell at the Times, they're saying, okay, you've got a two year old phone that you weren't necessarily thinking iPhone, that you weren't necessarily thinking about replacing. Then a software update came down the, and you said, okay, install it. And now your phone adds worse battery life and worse performance. And they're saying, well, then of course you're going to go buy a new iPhone. Wouldn't the rational person say, be, be at that moment less likely to buy another iPhone than something else? Right. Absolutely. Well, and and she so so she's a, an economics reporter. She's not actually a technology reporter, and and she did touch on this a little bit. Uh, so there was a little bit of interesting discussion on you know would it actually make sense to do this? And it was saying you know if you have a monopoly and you're the only ones making a smartphone, then you yeah you should do this because people are just going to buy your new device. 
But as you said, there's competition out there that's, you know, decent at least. And if you're pissed off at Apple because they made your phone work like crap, you're going to look at that competition a lot more closely. Right. And one of the ways that I think the computing world in general has gotten a lot better as time has gone on is that it's gotten a lot easier to switch from one platform to another. There's nowhere near as much lock-in technical lock-in as there used to be. I mean, it is absolutely true that with the App Store, you know... I was going to say, on on the mobile platforms, I feel like we sort of took a little bit of a step back there. But on the other hand, the prices having come down so far, where so many of the apps you may have bought are literally like 99 cents or buck 99 or free. That's true, yeah. But so many things that, you know, just the fact that your floppy disks were different formats right, in the old right. days, right? You need to I buy mean, a whole new zip drive. Right. But I mean, so many people have so much of their stuff just in Dropbox or in, you know, Google Apps, you know, mails and Gmail, you can, you can put your calendar on Google Calendar and stuff like that, that it's really a lot easier to switch. And I know this from, you know, just the time if I, you know, the times when I'll try an Android phone for a month or something like that. I don't have everything. But I can get a lot. I can get a lot of my stuff just by signing into Dropbox and Google and stuff like that. It's right. a lot easier than it used to be. Certainly, less e- a lot easier. You know, I'm not saying it's easy. There's certainly some some technical lock in, but it's easier than it used to be. So I don't think anybody, even Apple, would would be wise to do that. I just think, and I think that the only re- I think the reason they only write this about Apple and nobody else is there's nobody else who you could even make it seem as though there are these irrational customers who, after being given a total shit sandwich, like, hey, we took your perfectly working iPhone and ruined it. Come buy a new iPhone. <laughs> right. Like, it's an insult to people who buy iPhones, I think. I really right, do. that they'd be willing to just put up with this. Absolutely. Right. Like, wouldn't that be the moment where you're most angry at Apple and most likely to buy a Samsung. I and in fact, I would be willing to bet if you could somehow survey a thousand people or 10,000 people who've bought an i, you know, or a cell phone period in the last 6 weeks of like from like today. If you can find the number of those people who installed iOS 7 and hated it for whatever reason, I'll bet that those people are disproportionate. Probably not. It's, I don't think there's a lot of them, and I don't think the percentage would be high, but I'll bet there'd be some kind of correlation that those people were more likely to try a Samsung. Switch over to Android? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it, a little irritation like that is the sort of thing that could really nudge you to do that. And I think Apple is fully aware of that. Right. Right. And well, yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't agree with a lot of stuff Apple does, but I just can't see that it makes any sense for them to say, yep, this is how we're going to get some new sales. Let's screw over the people who bought a phone two years ago. Right. I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is that, like I said, I think maybe they should not have offered this update to those older phones if it was not going to work as well as it should. Right. But of course, I mean, if you do that, then you're getting the people who say, "Oh, why is my phone already out of date? Right. Why can't I get the latest?" So you can't win when you have tens of millions of customers. Somebody's going to be ticked off. Right. And it's definitely the case that, you know, an older phone is way more likely than a newer phone to have developed some sort of, even if you don't want to call it a bug, want to call it some kind of configuration of preference settings and data and usage that it's not going to turn up over the summer while it's being beta tested. And it's certainly also the case that the majority of the people using iOS 7 while it was in beta and next year who will be using iOS 8 in beta are not using two or three year old iPhones they're right, using it's on their new phones right. that they aren't allowed to show anybody yet you know? right but it is absolutely not the case and it's like and like I said it's the opposite that the, uh, 
three-year-old iPhone users get more from Apple than any other phone. Nobody uh, takes care of older customers like Apple does. You want to do another sponsor break, John? It's perfect timing, Paul. (laughs) Let me tell you about our good friends back to sponsor the show again at MailRoute. If you are like a system administrator, you're in charge of email for your team or company. Have you hey, been, I am. Have you been dumped by Postini? Are you being strong-armed onto uh, Google Apps or Office 365? Does your spam filter arbitrarily refuse all mail from Gmail or Hotmail? Does it get wacky like that? Are you being deprived of uh, quarantine notifications? Are you only getting false positive reports once a day? The best solution to an IT person who needs some kind of solution to these problems for spam and virus filtering is MailRoute. MailRoute provides fast delivery of clean mail to end users with low false positive rate and super reliable uptime. Their cloud-based hosted email protection, you just point your MX records at them, then they point it back to your mail server. All the do, it's just like a filter that mail goes through first before it hits your servers. Totally configurable. Uh, You get to configure which features you want, what type of filters you want. It works for small teams, works for big teams. You can import a big list of users. You can use it. It works great for a small team with just a handful of users. Uh, They have an API that you can program against uh, to really customize it. Uh, They love mail admins, and they love the little guy. Is this the copy that they gave you, I assume? Some of it. Right. So so we use MailRoute. Uh, and that's the copy's all accurate. There's nothing in there that's inaccurate. But basically, if you don't want to deal with spam for your domain, this is a great solution. And it's inexpensive. You let somebody else deal with spam filtering, and you don't have to do anything. I mean, that's the simplest, you know, that's the two-sentence elevator pitch for this. And it really works. Yeah, and and yeah, we've been using it. We had another solution that we were using for few, for a few years. It was pretty good, but we got sort of fed up with them, and and we switched to MailRoute uh, after hearing about it on the talk show. Maybe about six months ago, they started advertising. I think that sounds about right. And uh, this is I'm not getting any money for this, but uh, we've been very happy with them. And uh, the 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 simplest thing is, if you don't want to deal with spam, let them deal with it, and you won't have any problems with it. At least we haven't. And I, you know what? I think that it, to me, it sounds a little funny. The first time I heard it, it sounds pretty cool and simple. And they're not asking you to switch your entire mail. They're, you, they're, they're not doing your hosting for you, the mail right. hosting. It does sound to me a little bit like, well, do I really want to put another layer of indirection between the outside world and my mail server? But yeah, you do. Because think about it. It's, it. it's just all it is is just a layer of filtering. And that's, the outside that's, world is terrible and full of spam. Exactly. And a filter, uh, a layer there helps you avoid all of that. I also, I owe my friends at MailRoute an apology. Last time they sponsored the show, um, I said something to the effect that they used to work at Microsoft. That's actually not true, and they wanted me to clarify that. None of them, <laughs> none of them, in fact, have worked at Microsoft. What they did is they had built a previous uh, mail admin tool that they sold to Microsoft. Okay, but they no, at no point did they come with the tool. Exactly. All right. Uh, and I just, I, I thought that was so adorable that they, they wanted me to, they didn't even say, they didn't ask me to correct it. They just wanted me to know that none of them had worked at Microsoft. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? None of us have ever worked at Microsoft. We yeah, more or less. <laughs> well, they, but I think it speaks, I don't know. It's, 
<laughs> they seem like cool guys, and I feel like they wanted to straighten that out. Where do you go for, to find out more? Guess what? You can try it for free. Go to mailroute.net slash the talk show. You'll get a 15-day free trial, and you'll get 10% off the lifetime of your account using the promo code TTS or the talk show. Uh, Paul, I bet you, I bet you're taking advantage of that. You seem like yeah, a guy who that's who knows that's where the we value. found it, and and yeah, why not take ten percent off for the next however many years we wind up using it? So that's mailroute.net slash the talk show. Really works. Just takes care of spam. There you go. Three three sentences or three three words. Takes care. Of, I guess that's four. <laughs> uh, but my thanks to them. Mine too. But like I said, I'm not getting paid. I just like the product. Uh, how are we doing on time? We're going to make it an hour? Maybe. We're at uh, probably 45 minutes, yeah. We can we, we can maybe, you know, you didn't, you didn't set a, a hard limit. No. There's no buzzer going off. Although you right. threatened to drop the mic after 45. <laughs> I might just unplug the mic and go. Right. Uh, I've always wondered, I wonder if I could pull it off someday to, to do a Vin Scully, which would be to do an episode of the show where I don't have a guest and I'll just talk. Now, Vin okay. Scully is the uh, right, the Dodgers, eighty nine year old. I think he's eighty nine. It's something ridiculous, and uh, he's great. He's he's the 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 baseball announcer for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's been their team announcer for so long that he used to be the announcer for the Brooklyn Brooklyn Dodgers. Dodgers yep. Uh, and eighty five. He, he's eighty five. We shouldn't. And, uh, all right. Imp- but he's but the, the most amazing thing is is he sounds exactly the same. Like there, you you listen to an old clip of Jackie Robinson. You know, right. Uh, playing in Brooklyn in 1954. It sounds exactly like him calling right. the game today. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of radio is right. <laughs> he doesn't look quite the same. I can no. tell you that much. Uh, he looks good for 85. I'll tell you oh, that. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, unlike any other, any other baseball announcer I'm aware of, he still works alone. He just, right. it's him in the booth. He doesn't, there's not, you know, one guy doing play by play and another guy doing, as they call it, color commentary. <laughs> Uh, which is fine, and you know, and it's a reason why everybody else does it. I think it would be really hard to do it by yourself. Which, but that's right. what, what he, he does. does is difficult, right? It's just amazing. He's the voice well, of baseball, and but he, I wonder if I could do a talk show with no guests. Well, so you were a little late getting to this. I actually did about fifteen minutes before you got here. It's all gold, so you know, maybe we'll tack that on right at the beginning. <laughs> Paul doing a Vin Scully. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. You know, I would love to have Vin Scully on the show. <laughs> Is, is he at all, you know, I, I mean, he's, he announces for the Dodgers, so I have no opportunity to listen to him. I'm aware of him. But does he have, is he up on technology at all? I, I have to imagine he's not. I'm guessing definitely not. I would guess. I would guess he's he's not up on technology. So, I mean, it's got to just be a baseball show. You couldn't yeah. do anything else. Yeah. Maybe some funny broadcasting stories. Maybe you just let him do a talk show. Maybe exactly. it is a literal Vin. No, but I'm saying you're not on. Right. Exactly. Right. It's just a literal Vin Scully talk show. You know what I thought was great uh, during the playoffs, uh, baseball playoffs, on TBS, their their studio show, meaning not the games, but when they when the games would cut back to the TBS studio in between for, the games, yeah, before, yeah, in yeah. between the games, it was a Keith Olbermann was leading it, and whenever they would show highlights from the Dodgers games, 
instead of showing or listening to the TBS crews that had broadcast the games... They were using Vin Scully, They were using Vin Scully, which I thought was a really nice touch. And I don't know if, like, Olbermann had to fight for that, like, if that was a little... If there was any kind of pushback internally because it was his own network, you know... That he's he's ousting, basically. Right. But I almost have to think that, no. Because even if if you're... if Like, me and you were calling the Dodgers-St. Louis game, but when Keith Olbermann showed the highlights, they used Vin Scully. We'd be like, well, yeah, of course. Of course. You got to use Vin Scully, right? Right. right, He's the baseball announcer's baseball announcer. Right. Hey, uh, who who won that? uh, Who won in the playoffs? Who won the World Series, John? Oh, the Red Sox. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. You know, good team. It's a hell of a year. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, know, no hard feelings. No, I'm just just kidding. Congratulations. Get them next year, right? Yeah, that's what losers say. No. Oh. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Yankees fans don't say get him next year. Yankees fans like to. They're just angry for right. six they're months. Just, they're just angry. Because they, <laughs> they assume win or lose, they're going to get him next year. That's the thing. <laughs> See, that's the difference. Other teams have fans where they're like, well, we didn't do it this year. Maybe next year. Yeah, the Next year is assumed from the get-go anyway. <laughs> it's this year and next year. Yeah, and the year after that. <laughs> I mean, you know. Winning the World Series is good, but really, you got to win three, four, five in a row before the Yankees will really, <laughs> really put you in. Uh, All right. There's a funny thing, you know, there's a, 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 I don't know if the Red Sox fans do this. I don't want to go too long on sports. I know people get bothered, but Yankees fans have always had, there's, there's real Yankees and not real Yankees. And it's hard on the to team, be you mean. Exactly. Jeter's a real Yankee. A-Rod, Jeter, not so much. J, J, A-Rod is not a real Yankee. Although right. A-Rod is almost an asterisk in every category. <laughs> in like every he, possible, yeah. Yeah, because he's been there for so long. And managed to win a, one World Series. And the one that he won, he, you know, he, he, he did. He was unbelievable. He was really good. I mean, he was a key key player on the team. Matsui was the MVP, but it could have been a Rod, right? Uh, and for the whole playoff run, it was probably a Rod. Uh, uh, but it's not just like so. Jeter came up through the system, you know, and right, and farm system. Mariano Rivera, obviously. I mean, is clearly a real Yankee. Came up through the system. Andy Pettit came up through the system. Uh, Posada came up through the system. But you don't have to. So, like a famous example of a guy who's everybody considers a real Yankee, but did not come up through the system. In fact, didn't even win his first World Series with the team. Was Paul O'Neill? Remember Paul O'Neill? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right fielder. Who did he win with before? The Reds. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, he played like he came up while uh, I don't know if he played for Pete Rose. I, he, I don't think he he might have. He might have been like a kid playing with on Pete Rose Reds. And I'd have to look up when he started. But he, if if not, he came up on the Reds in like the late eighties. Um, and I always loved him because he was a hothead. He was the type of guy who if he <laughs> if he struck out, he half the time when he'd strike out, he'd go down to the clubhouse and take his bat to the Gatorade. <laughs> jug break the bat break the jug yeah just he would just go in there and smash stuff and i always appreciate i always loved those guys i was always a a mcenroe fan loved mcenroe (laughs) right yeah same type like a racket smasher um but he's a he's considered a real yankee well get everybody and people will say like well you know what's the key what's the secret you know now you know when you see it right it's like you know uh, when you see and guess what you got to win about three and four world series right (laughs) paul o'neill won like four world series with the yankees so of course he's a real yankee right not that hard big poppy real red sock absolutely do you started with the twins though so right 
right? Don't they, have to don't have to come up with the organization. Pedroia, real Red Sox. All right. Right, because they signed Pedroia to like an 18-year contract. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Right. Uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, not a real Red Sox. Maybe uh, if he resigns. You if he resigns, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. But if he, if he takes a whole lot of money somewhere else, then yeah. Even, even with two rings with the team. Uh, Pedro. Martinez? Yeah. Real Ooh. Red Sox. Yeah, that's a right. That's a, I mean, now he came up from the Expos and he, yep. you know, played for other teams. But for I a think, long time. I think, you know, thirty years from now, you know, Pedro shows up at Fenway and everybody, you know, he, they're still yeah, going to be inviting him. You know, well, it, how about how about one that's going to? I mean, this is going to hurt you a little bit. How about Dave Roberts? He was with the team for like half a season, but that's you know the biggest stolen base in the team's history. Yeah, that might be enough to earn it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. All right. All right. What else we got technology? Let's let's move off the baseball. Yeah, let's do it. Um, did you see this story? I, th- I think I sent you the link. The story about um, it was in Business Week a couple days ago about the Stephen Elop, who's the, the uh, Nokia the CEO, CEO of Nokia, Nokia rather. Yeah. He used I, to work at Microsoft and Microsoft has since announced an acquisition of Nokia's handset business. So he's he's coming back and before the whole Balmer resignation thing was slated to take over like the devices wing of Microsoft, which was going to be Nokia phones and Xbox. Right. So I looked at this, I looked at this briefly. What was, what was interesting about it to you? Well, it's a business week story that says that three sources have said, this is what Elop would do. He would, uh, here's Here's how how he'd run Microsoft. Well, and effectively here's how we would change it because you know, I, I, it sort of goes unsaid, but everybody, you have to assume that whoever's coming in to take over Microsoft has got to do something different. Because if they're not going to do something different, why'd they squeeze Balmer out? Right. So Elop has come out. I mean, he hasn't come out and said it, but he had three sources went to Bloomberg and said that he would um, he would stop using Office as a way to keep people on Windows and Windows Phone and instead... Right take office to as many devices as the company could. And I think the main one, let's face it, is got to be iOS. It's right, conspicuous. it's on the Mac. Right. And, and, and the Mac just doesn't measure in enough numbers. To right, really in terms of percentage. Right. Yeah. And I say this as, as a guy, you know, me, a longtime Mac user who uses a Mac every day, speaking to a guy whose company Makes Mac software, yeah. Right. Is, you know, you what, like 90-something percent Mac software. You guys have some iOS stuff, but couple iOS well we have one Windows app as well but yeah but, I mean we're a Mac software company right that would be my description right like you guys could stop making the other ones and your business would be the same and if you stop making Mac software you'd, you'd be in a new It'd be business. very different right uh, but you know the the grand number of potential Mac office users is just not that big and they're they're you know and they're but they're also for 20 some years have done very well office for Mac is very popular on Mac and users. very expensive. I right, mean, but it's, it's got to be a decent profit center, but it's but just compared to iOS. Well, you know, do you remember there used to be, and I think it's the sort of thing where you kind of have to take the analyst's word for it because nobody really unveils it. But the in the the, the it, it used to be said, and I think that the math kind of holds up that Microsoft traditionally profits more per Mac sold than they do per PC sold. Because Based. so the percentage of people who buy Office for Mac multiplied by the price of Office for Mac is Was greater than, than yeah, it's greater than the cost of Windows that gets light the version that gets licensed to the OEMs. 
because almost so nobody, money, right? Yeah, normally Windows users don't buy the hundred and twenty nine dollar copy of Windows. They buy, they never upgrade. They just get the version that comes with the PC and install the free updates or service packs, whatever they call them. Right, and eventually uh, buy a new machine that right. also comes with a licensed. Yeah, right. And a lot of them, if they have Office, it came licensed to them, or if they have it at work, almost certainly it's you know some kind of site license and it's way lower. Whereas a lot of Mac users are consumers and buy the hundred and whatever dollar version of Office. Right, right. Well, so that so the the plan, the biggest part of the plan, like you were saying, was to to have Office be everywhere instead of saying. Hey, if you want Office, you probably want Windows. Right. And if you don't want Windows, maybe you can get it on your Mac. And is is it on right. anything else? It must be yeah. on Windows Phone. Yeah. But uh, if you want Office, you probably want a Windows platform or maybe a Mac. But it's but, certainly not on. Chrome but even or with Windows like Phone, it's about propping up their. It's used as a competitive cudgel to prop up their platforms. The OS itself, yeah. Right. Uh, and you know, I, I I guess they mentioned Android. I mean, there were I don't even think there have been whispers before that they'd even considered taking Office to Android. And I think right. that that opens a whole can of worms in terms of the whole fragmentation and how many Android devices are even capable of it, et cetera, et cetera. But regardless, it's the the article made it sound as though that's what Elop would do. But uh, like you said, this was based on. A bunch, it was not him. It was, they, right. they did not speak to him supposedly, at least. But they, they did say it was sources. three different sources. And and this is Bloomberg, who's I mean, we were just talking yeah. about the New York Times not being terribly reputable at the moment, but uh, this is a, a, a relatively reputable news source. Very, I'd say highly reputable. I yeah, mean, you absolutely. know, everybody makes mistakes, and you know, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody with a perfect record, but uh, and the reporters are long. You know, I know one of them was I remember it was Peter Burroughs, and Peter Burroughs is aces. I mean, he's is a guy. I mean, I've never met him personally, but I know I you know decades of experience you know reporting on this industry. Uh, so is it possible that three people lied to Business Week reporters? I guess. But I, I I would bet my bottom dollar that three people said it. And right. Business Week is not the type of place where three people who can't verify that they actually know Stephen Eli. Right. If I call them up, it's not going to create a story. Right. You know, if, if Paul67 at gmail.com <laughs> sends an email and says, oh, I was uh, – Having drinks a, with Stephen Elop. Yeah, I was sitting next to a guy who looked like Stephen Elop at a <laughs> McDonald's, and he says he's gonna he's gonna sell the Xbox division. Uh, no, I mean somebody said this. Now you know, it, to me that's fascinating though, and it to me the more I think about it, the more it shows just how um, how bad the Microsoft situation has gotten. You know that they they've gotten to the point now where like prospective CEOs are fighting it out in public. Like right, this in is the, in the in the media. Yeah, like behind the scenes, this is obviously contentious. This is not any kind. This is so definitely not a planned transition. Right, know, right. That the infighting has become public. Well, and to the point where to the point where recently they were talking to the media was talking to Bill Gates, saying like, "Hey, are you going to pull a Steve Jobs and come back and save your company?" Because and they asked that because it seems like they maybe needed, right? I think he said no, though he was pretty explicit in saying he wasn't going to do that. So yeah, but he did say in. Uh, I just had a big interview with somebody. I linked to it this week. I forget where it was. Was it uh, Wired? I don't know. That uh, Gates had an interview with. Oh, it was the Financial Times? He had a big. There was a Financial Times had a real long profile of him, uh, mostly about his charitable work. Right. 
But they, they addressed that. And he did say, though, that he, he is spending and has been spending a lot more than the one day a week. Right. Kid. More time than he'd planned to when he and, said, I'm leaving. And that he, he definitely plans to, you know, have an active role with whoever they choose as the next CEO. So it might be real active because it's him. I, you know, and he said it wasn't going to be him, but I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, at well, a certain all- level, you've got to make a choice. You know, it's, it's like somebody's got to be the coach of the team. And right. it's like when you've got a former coach who's still working in the organization, it's like, you know, you've got to decide. You can come back and be the coach again, or you kind of have to give the ball to the new coach and, you know, let him you run can't, the show. You can't sort of half be there and, and, He's right. in your shadow the whole time. Right. Somebody's in charge. And if you want if you want to be in charge, then take the job. I think. I don't, I don't think it works having a, a somebody He's like the that. Chairman, right? I right. Think. I mean you can be there, what's the phrase? Eminence Grise, you know, right. the, the you know, the advisor behind the scenes. If you're there as an advisor, you know, like or like when uh, when Marlon Brando became uh, uh, his son's consigliere. Right. right. He didn't he wasn't the godfather. He wasn't running the family. He was there as an advisor to his son. You can be that guy. But then, you know, everybody knows Michael is still in charge. Right. I just think and it, I, it you know, and to to belabor the godfather argument. Go ahead. There's the scene, it's one of the just one of the best scenes cuz it's so simple but so logical that this is the way it's got to be. There's the scene in the first one uh where they're having a meeting and Sonny speaks up to sort of, you know, object to something and show that there's an argument in the family, you know, over which way to proceed with the, was it like the drugs and stuff. And then they come out of the meeting and Brando is, you know, like furious. He's like, you don't ever let anybody see that, you know, the fight, you know, you, you know, we do our fighting in private. Right. Right. They were meeting with someone else. Right. Right. Cause then that's why they, uh, you know, this, it ends up that's why they killed Sonny. It gives the other people insight into what you're actually arguing about inside the the organization. Right. Uh, and that, to me, is like what this ELOP thing going public with a plan, a pretty bold plan to, you know, to focus on office rather than focus on their own platforms. And, you know, it, it said that he'd consider selling the Xbox division or splitting it off, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um Making that public is unseemly to me. Right, right. And well, and, and what, what, well, I mean, I guess that's the question is what is the benefit to doing that? Because if you're, if you're interested in the job, if you want to be the new CEO of the company, you can present this plan to the board. Right. He, he's a high enough level person who can say, like, I need to speak to the board. This is what I would do. He doesn't need to use, you know, the, the media to do that. So what's the benefit to him of, of this leak? I don't know. Think about that. Let's think about that. I want to finish the show back on this topic, but I'm going to take a moment right now and thank our third sponsor. It's a great, great app, great service. It's Flow, F-L-O-W, from MetaLab Design. Flow is a task management app built for teams that want to get more done. Use Flow to manage tasks, have discussions, share files, uh, get updates about the work that other members of your team are doing. You'll spend less time in meetings and more time actually getting stuff done. Thousands of teams of all kinds use Flow every day, and it's free to try for 30 days at getflow.com. They have an iPad app. They have an iPhone app. uh, And it looks great. 
both of the apps look really great. The website looks great. They have a Mac app. It's one of those apps that lives in the uh, in the menu bar. You click it and you get a list of all the updates. Uh, iPhone app, iPad app, website, Mac app. Great way for teams to collaborate and share. Do you have? You guys don't have meetings. You guys don't have any employees who work together, do you? Uh, in the same room, you mean? No, yeah. we're all all remote. Ten of us that are all remote. So. Exactly, and I this think is, this is not a tool we've used, but it's. Right. I'm looking at the website right now, and I'm already interested. Exactly. It's but it's you know it, having meetings and stuff like that it just kill you. Okay, you. you need you need something like this. I mean, I don't know if it's Flow or not, but you're nuts if you don't check it out. I think it looks great. Really cool looking apps. Getflow.com. Uh, I can't, I don't see the, I'm with you. I don't see the angle on what, what this does. There must be something now. And the only thing I can think of, and it, it is something to the effect of, like you said, obviously if, if he's actually being considered for the job and it would right. appear that he is, of course, he's going to present his plan to the board. The only thing I can think of is if a big chunk of the board is resistant to this plan and, and you, famously, you release it and, and then there's public right support for it. Maybe. Right. Because two people who are on the board are uh, guys. There's a guy named uh, Bill Gates and there's another guy named Steve Ballmer. Right. And I think combined, Ballmer and Gates control like just under 10% of the shares of the company. I think Gates totally, has like, including public as well. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and so, you know, obviously they're. Board seats are, I think, more influential than others because they, you know, they actually control stock too. I only thing I can think of is that there's some, you know, that that Elop thinks that by leaking this in the public, there's a big chunk of other shareholders who agree that that's a good way to go. That's the way to do it, yeah. Right, and that you know that they can put pressure on the board to hire someone who's going to go in that direction. Before they make the decision. So that's my thought. My thought is that Elop could see the board is sort of against going another way. And he wants the job enough and thinks that by going public with it, he can shift the board's thinking. He's at least got a shot at it. It's the only way I can. It makes any sense to me. Well, so I was uh, you mentioned this to me and I, I looked at this and I don't know too much about him. So have you looked at his Wikipedia page? No. Let, let me read you like three sentences of the, the opening paragraph of Stephen Elop's Wikipedia page. During the three years Elop was Nokia CEO, Nokia revenues fell 40%. Nokia <laughs> profits fell 95%. Nokia market share collapsed in smartphones from 34% to 3.4%. Nokia's credit rating went from A to junk. <laughs> <laughs> Nokia's share price dropped 60% in value, and Nokia's market cap lost $13 billion in value. The Financial Times calculated that Nokia shareholders ended up paying Elop a bonus of 1 million euros for every 1.5 billion in market cap that he was able to destroy while Nokia CEO. <laughs> I mean, that's just brutal. That's pretty... That's a... I, that's that is brutal. That's a good way to put it. I mean, that seems to have been written by someone with a, a bit of a point of view, more, <laughs> but not necessarily inaccurate. I almost feel like it's to Wikipedia's detriment that they, 
you know, like those are all statements of fact. Right, right. Right. right? But they are put together in a persuasive way that I feel like Nokia or that not Nokia, that Wikipedia sometimes tries to avoid. Right. They want to have that neutral. Yeah. They don't want to be saying he's good or bad, but this is clearly saying right? it's like he the, was not good for Nokia. You know, the, it, what's the, the, I forget if it's a Paul Krugman thing or who, but somebody has said in U.S. politics that the facts tend to have a liberal bias. Right, right. Uh, you you could say here that the facts <laughs> seem to have an anti-Stephen Elop bias. Anti-Elop bias, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that doesn't seem good. It doesn't really seem like a good way to get an upgrade to a bigger a CEO job at a bigger company. No, he might want to have someone uh, sanitize his Wikipedia page if right. at all possible. It does. If make... he's got these people leaking for him, he can have somebody edit his Wikipedia page. Right. You know, and who knows? I don't know. It this. I mean, this is like not just conspiracy. This is like a conspiracy of what I believe would be a, amount to some sort of securities fraud. Although, who knows? You know, it, it, it's obviously international. I don't even know what jurisdiction it would fall under, since Nokia is a you know, a, a, what's the country they're in? Uh, uh, Finland, right? Finland, yeah, yeah. Uh, is the allegation that because he came from Microsoft. Right. He was at he was at Microsoft before he went to be the CEO of Nokia. Right. And Nokia he went there. had an existing uh I just saw somebody on Twitter the other day. I was in an at reply exchange with a couple people and they said something, you know, somebody had said something about uh, that, you know, it was it just seems like more and more that it was a mistake for Nokia to go with Windows Phone. And they said, Well, they, what were they gonna do? Go with they couldn't otherwise they'd be on Symbian. No, they had a thing called Mego and they even released right. one phone with it. They had an you know, and it looked kind of interesting. I mean it was it was, kind a, it was of, a future looking platform. Symbian right. was their old platform right. and, and their Mego platform was their potential competitor to Android and iOS. Right. And who knows, and, maybe it would have been even worse, but it was definitely not just like a slap of paint on Symbian. It was right. all new. It was a truly new system. So that, you know, that would have been the alternative. Um, but he came in and said, no, we're not doing Symbian. We're not doing right. Amigo. We're doing Windows Phone. The allegation, though, I guess, is the conspiracy allegation is that he effectively never stopped working for Microsoft. <laughs> right. And that right. his job was to his job was to do what he did, which is drive their market cap down so that when Microsoft bought them, it would be cheaper. I mean, I don't even know. Is that a crime? I, mean, I don't awful. know. <laughs> I don't well, know what you would get convicted of for that, though. I don't know. And the other thing too that was so funny was that came out was the 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 severance, not severance package, but like the uh, he got a huge bonus. That's he, what the, right. the end of that was talking about. Was he got like a, a nineteen million euro bonus? Right. As the company was getting sold to Microsoft for pennies. Right, and it's all written in his contract. So like, if you're the board at Nokia when you hired him, when his lawyers come to you with this contract, this is <laughs> right. that he would like to get a twenty million dollar bonus if he drives the 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 the, the company market cap to nothing and revenues shrivel up such that the company needs to sell the hands. Say, let's just say the handset business. <laughs> To, Possibly you know, to a company right. called Microsoft. <laughs> like the revenue and cash flow are down and they need to sell the handset business. Well, then he would like a $20 million uh, bonus in that situation. And they they obviously said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't understand know. it. I just know enough about it to laugh about it. Right. But there is a case that you could argue that if there was some kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, hey, here's what I think I'll do if I get this Nokia gig that you could see how maybe at Microsoft they do think that he did a good job. I, I, right, right. He was successful in in tearing that company apart. Basically. Right. And the fact that they're even considering him 
for the CEO gig lends credence to that because it, otherwise, right. why, you know, if that's his record with why? his record, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's his pitch? I'm, I really hope to do the same thing with Microsoft <laughs> that I did with Nokia. I think my track record speaks for itself. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. I'll have I'll have Microsoft sold to Google within three years. <laughs> for pennies on the dollar once and, again. Yeah. And I would like a huge bonus when that happened. <laughs> uh, well, so I mean what so do you have a prediction on this? Who's the next CEO gonna be? I I think it's gonna be the guy from Ford. I really do. Just because of who's leaked it, you know, that it's, it, I think it was the Wall Street Journal and, uh, I, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, but I don't know the guy and I don't want to say that just because his primary experience is as the CEO of Ford, Ford Motor Company, that it means he couldn't be right. uh, a good CEO of Microsoft, but you know, and I don't know, you know, enough about him to say, but it just doesn't seem to me that a guy who ran Ford would be good at anything that Microsoft needs. Right. Well, I, yeah, I mean, the you don't see great tech CEOs come out of the automotive industry. I don't know that there's any precedent for that. So, yeah, I just really think that the CEO of the company that's that's in the consumer space at all, and Microsoft wants to be, I you have to have some ability to judge you you know like steve jobs wasn't a designer he couldn't you know sit down and design things i mean there's the famous story where he designed the calculator app or whatever but that wasn't his you know where he came from his forte yeah he was a judge of design though right and i know and tim cook doesn't do the same thing that jobs did but tim cook i do think he you know he, he had decades of experience at apple at building these devices you know he's very you know intimately familiar with what what an apple device and service is uh, right. You know, Whereas, if you brought in somebody from, from Larry outside. Page, Larry Page is a great example. I mean, the guy, you know, literally was one of two people who've just started Google. I mean, he, you know, say what you want about what Google's done and and how Larry Page has changed Google while he's been CEO, but he clearly understands Google. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, you know, you couldn't argue otherwise. I just don't see how a guy from Ford really understands Microsoft, but I could be wrong. But I do. I think that's who it's going to be. Okay. What's his name? Malali or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I saw that, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't catch the name. Who do you think? What, what are the? Is he is he leading the Vegas odds right now? Ford's Alan Malali. There you go. That's who I think. I think if Vegas posted odds on it, I think it would be him. Well, somebody had somebody had odds on this, didn't they? A few months ago. Hmm. Somebody was somebody was posting odds on who the next CEO is going to be, and I, I, some somebody will take your money on that bet, John. Here's, so Reuters had an exclusive, this is just Googling this, Reuters had an exclusive four days ago that they've narrowed the list to three internal candidates, including former Skype CEO Tony Bates. I guess he promises to build, to, to bring Skype's uh, user interface clarity to all of Microsoft's products. <laughs> Jesus. That's in the article? No, I made that part Okay. okay. <laughs> Ford CEO Alan Mulally, Nokia CEO Stephen Elop, uh, Skype CEO Tony Bates, who I guess he's he's in Microsoft right now responsible yeah, they, for Yeah, when they acquired them, he got some executive vice president type position, I think. Oh, and another one, Satya. I hope I'm pronouncing it. Oh, you're going to butcher it. Well, no, the last name is easier, Nadella. Okay. But I'm not sure if that's... Uh, a man or a woman? I'm going to guess it's a man. 
seems like it's a pretty safe bet. Well, tech. unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that, uh, Satya Nadella is right now uh, Microsoft's cloud and enterprise chief. Right, okay. So those are the four, according to Reuters. All right, put your go go put your money down in Vegas. We'll see. Who do I hope it is, though? Boy, I don't know. That's a good. I I, I don't. You know, I would like to see Microsoft do well. So I I gotta. I, I don't know. This Elop, I worry, is is somehow like a. It's like it, a poison pill in human form. Yeah, like that. His only actual ability is the ability to further his own career and just <laughs> and tear down companies while he does it. Apparently. Right. You know. So I kind of I'm rooting against him because I don't want to. I want to see Microsoft come out with something awesome. I want him to be good. Uh, yeah, there's there's really so you mentioned that the uh, mail route guys wanted to make make it clear that they did not work at Microsoft. That rivalry really does not exist anymore. No, I mean Windows Phone is interesting and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to take off. And I I don't know how much money they can throw at it a lot, but it hasn't worked so far. No, uh, but I mean where that rivalry just you know it's not interesting at all anymore. Yeah, somebody had a good tweet today. I'm so sorry. I just remembered the tweet, but I don't remember who it was, and I don't have time to look it up. But that they're they're just you could see how they're confused because on the one hand they're competing against a pretty good OS, and they we're just talking about mobile, which is Android. They're talk they're competing against Android, which is pretty good and totally free and free to anyone who wants it. Right? And on the other side, they're competing against a company that builds the whole stack, right. hardware, software, and integrates it all. And so you can see how they're confused and and seem to be trying to do something in between those two. I mean, they should be the Google in this scenario, right? Well, I would think so. Here's That's what I think, though. I think that the thing that that tweet misses, and whoever if whoever it was who wrote it, I, I, if you listen to the show, I don't even know what the odds are of that. But I apologize for not remembering it. But I think the problem is that the problem with Android from Microsoft's perspective isn't even that it's pretty good. The problem with it is that it's exactly what the customer wants and the customer is not the consumer the customer is the carriers the, the carriers yeah and companies like samsung right. where they get to do whatever the hell they want with it right that's the that's the big thing with android that is so appealing to them is it, you want to put your own crapware on it go ahead well but know? wasn't didn't I mean, maybe you had this link I, I know i saw it somewhere with it microsoft is making an f ton of money on android right you can say the f word Okay, they're making a fuck ton of money on Android yeah. off the patents that they own, right? Somebody, uh, an analyst said that it would be, it was $2 billion a year. Right, I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Especially, like, I don't know what Windows, I mean, it's not a, a huge amount of money in the, the scheme of this, obviously. Yeah. But And like uh, I wrote, I wrote when I linked to it, take it with your usual grain of salt that some analyst said it. I've never right, heard of the guy, right. and who knows, you know, a lot, but... It, you can make it. So let's say somebody else. Uh, I've heard that the figure is five dollars a phone, and, and I, and and you know that's a lot of money when you're talking about a you know the the more price sensitive platform, and and for no work. I mean well, that's really the and it's and it's also not every Android phone. So like the ones that are sold in China, yeah. Good luck getting, U <laughs> getting U.S. The, uh, the patent, patent licenses on, on those, right. and it's clearly a lot. But you know. It, it, how do you get so? Are there four hundred million Android phones sold in the West each in, year in, in the patent respecting countries? Yeah, I don't know. That sounds like too many. Four hundred yeah. million sounds too many. And f you have to admit, five if if it is five dollars a phone, that's a that's lot. That's a high number. That's a high number to pay in licensing fees for no, like you, I don't know about no work, but 
Well, I mean, the work's done up front. They're not doing any continuing work. Right. They're not even licensing code. They're just right. licensing the right to have code that does these Whatever these things are, yeah. Things, slide right. to unlock or whatever it is, yeah. It's a lot of money to pay in licensing for the company that didn't do any of the programming. Uh, right. And it would have to be, if it is $5 a phone, which I think is a lot, there would have to be 400 million devices a year to be $2 billion. Unless right. I've forgotten how to multiply. No, that's right. That's so right. I don't know. I, I'd say take it with a grain of salt. Maybe it's less. But if it's $5 a phone, it could be 200 million devices. Right. Right. Well, I, I mean, mean, that sounds I reasonable. Mean, the, the real point is they're making money off something that even if Android succeeds, they're somehow being brought along with it in a way that is very strange as far as a platform rivalry goes. Right. Uh, and I would think that that might be, you know, that might be one of those things too, where you enter into that whole shipped versus sold debate that maybe they get their licensing fees no matter what. So like if on if, a shipped phone versus a sold phone. Yeah. You know, like, so like companies that have had to take write downs, you know, on exist, you know, on, on unsold devices and stuff. I'm not so sure that Microsoft, you know, that if you had to license the thing that, you know, you might have to pay that when you make the device. Right. So I don't know. It is kind of sick. And I do think, you know, I think there's definitely an argument to be made that whatever the figure is for Microsoft's Android patent royalties. Profits, yeah. That it's greater than the Windows phone profits because they're probably losing money on Windows phone. I mean, they have to be. Right. However popular it is, they're advertising it more than that. Right. And and they're clearly willing to do that for a couple of years while they try and make it a viable platform. Right. So that Android is profitable for Microsoft to some degree. Maybe it's not two billion a year, but it's you know must be in the hundreds of millions a year. Hundreds of millions. And, yeah. and Windows Phone is a, a loss center, right? So I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe the ELOP argument. You know, I, I, I'm not even saying I didn't even get into that. Like whether I actually think that's a good plan. Right, right. Yeah, we you were just talking about the leaks. And well, what I loved was, and you mentioned this, the, was the uh, Microsoft response to it. Oh, that's. <laughs> it was that's uh, Frank so Shaw, great. right? Right. This is right up your alley. Did I you mean, hear? Is, you should read that. Read that. Oh, it, I don't have it right in front you of don't me. Have it? Uh, let me Let me pull it up. <laughs> this is we I, I can't believe I almost let the show end without. I was I was going to say, yeah, I can't believe you, you nearly missed this. Uh, here we go. Yeah, I got it. So it's, uh, it's, it's Frank Shaw, who's a Microsoft spokesman. Uh, he said uh, in response to the Bloomberg article that supposedly referenced these three sources, who none of whom were ELOP, but who knows who they were. He said, we appreciate Bloomberg's foray into fiction and look forward to future episodes. <laughs> I love Frank Shaw. Maybe I should have Frank <laughs> Shaw on the talk show. <laughs> Absolutely. I, he and it's only him. I mean, I'm not saying he he's the only PR person at Microsoft, but he's the guy who, when the press calls, that he, you know, he, he's almost always the spokesperson I see, and he just lets it fly. He answers the phone, and he gives a real answer. Yeah, yeah he gives a real answer, and no other company of that size does that. Certainly right. not Apple. Right. Uh, well, Apple, in my mind, I don't know that Apple has any spokespeople. I don't know that that role <laughs> exists at Apple, because it's always declined comment. The Apple has... Uh, well, I guess they don't have spokespeople. They have they, PR people. They have a ton of PR people, and right. they never respond to anything. Right. right. It's the easiest job in the world. Right. I don't know that I've ever seen a story that Apple has responded, responded to. Responded? I guess. I, I feel like you, maybe. Yeah. There's a couple of cases. I'm trying to think. I know 
Trudy. It, it's it's like in an antenna gate kind of scenario where yeah. they they have to say something. They cannot just sit there and not say anything. Yeah. But most of the time, like like this story that we were talking about at the at the top of the show, they didn't respond to that. They're not going to say anything about that. Right. It's and when just, they do respond, it is you know there's uh, like with a touch ID thing. I think that they 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 gave some kind of response to the allegation when the when those jokers came out with the. If you get a 1200 DPI fingerprint, which and, is like a phenomenally high quality fingerprint, right? right? And yeah. you know, you have the expertise to take that and print it on special uh, laser printer, jury rigged to use extra toner, and then imprint it onto a piece of silicon and then use that. You can then unlock the phone. Uh, okay. And I'm not even this. saying that that's not interesting. And that's it, it, it's cool that somebody showed that you could do it. And that a right. pro, somebody who's a professional at faking fingerprints, which I'm sure is a real security issue, could that would fake a touch ID sensor. The issue is, is that actually easier than learning somebody's four-digit passcode? <laughs> right, exactly. Not. But anyway, I do think that, that somebody at Apple gave a statement on that. But the statement was just touch ID is designed for the security and convenience of iPhone customers. Right, it's it the was most like, boring. Yeah, it's nothing. It's a nothing statement. Whereas right. Frank Shaw will get out there and say that's freaking ridiculous. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. Or yeah, I, I you know that sounds like a great plot point for the next uh, Ocean's fourteen. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, in the meantime, in the real world, you know, Windows users we've made phones safe. more secure. Right. Uh, love the guy. He's he also lets it fly on Twitter too. And it's not like just under you know it's under his own name. You know, it's like Frank X Shaw is like his Twitter handle. And he, and that's cool too. He's giving out a cool middle He's initial. Got the middle initial, yeah. Yeah, I mean, almost everybody should have X as their middle initial. Well, I think you'd lose a little of the cachet. No, I guess you would. Oh, well, I, not everybody should. I would say everybody would sound cooler if they did. Paul, right. Paul X Kafasis. Oh, that's sweet. That is pretty sweet. It, it's it's kind of a mouthful to say, but it would look cool. Right, right. John X, X in there. John X Gruber. That's good. It's a good one. Yeah. Frank Shaw, letting it fly. Nobody does PR like Frank Shaw. <laughs> I honestly well, wonder, I mean, it's almost, you know, like, like, is that going to be an issue when the new CEO comes in? Is the new CEO going to be like, wait a minute, who's, who's this guy? Or right, is that right. like, how, it, like how established off. is he? Like, clearly Balmer supports it. And it's, I almost doesn't surprise me, you know, because Balmer's a little. Oh, he's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Balmer's a little loose-lipped. Maybe uh, maybe Frank Shaw should be the new CEO. You know what? Maybe he should. <laughs> I don't know anything about his business expertise. Right. But he knows how to pitch a quote. It's a thought. Well, so I had I had one more story, and, and we can you, you can tell Caleb to cut it before right. this if you want. But uh, this was not one. You, you sent a bunch of stuff to me. I had one for you. Uh, the Twitter IPO happened this past week. All right. Not terribly interesting to me as, as a technologist or anything like that, but... Uh, uh, did you see who rang the opening bell for them at the no, New York Stock Exchange? No, I did Exchange? not. So it was, I'll tell you who it was, and then, I, then I'll tell you a story I heard from somebody I know at Twitter. It was Patrick Stewart, who's a fairly prominent Twitter user. Sir Patrick Stewart. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. You know what? I don't go for the sir nonsense. I'm an American. All right. Patrick Stewart then. Uh, what was he? Spock? I don't even know. No, he was Captain Picard. Yeah, you're right. Picard. There we go. Uh, Picard. Uh, the woman who runs the Boston Police Department's Twitter stream, I don't have her name, uh, but it was, you know, a, a, another prominent Twitter user, especially in the wake of what happened, uh, you know, six months ago in Boston. 
And a nine-year-old girl who has done used Twitter to raise a whole lot of money for a charity ending human trafficking. So basically, you know, prominent and uh, useful Twitter users, basically. Uh, and that's who they had. You know, the, the founders of the company, Dick Costello and uh, Jack Dorsey and Evan Williams, were all there, but they were not the ones ringing the actual bell, which is a sort of ceremonial role, right? Right. right. Uh, and so, you know, it's interesting. And they said, you know, we wanted to give back to Twitter and, and show this is, this is we respect our users and, and whatever. But the story that I heard, and I, I, I can't attribute this at all, but it's, it's to someone from someone at Twitter, was that what they were trying to do was avoid what they called the smiling assholes photo, <laughs> <laughs> which is the photo that you get of the founders of a company like Groupon or uh, what's the game company? Uh, Zynga, where they rang the bell and it's the founders and they're looking up there in you know, whatever their pop collar polo or whatever they're wearing. And six months down the line, all their investors have gotten totally screwed. And this photo of them getting super rich still exists, and, and they just look like smiling assholes. Uh, so I thought it was, I thought it was a, a pretty good move to, you know, who's, who knows what's going to happen to the Twitter stock in six months. But at the, at the very least, there will not be a photo of Jack Dorsey and Evan Williams and Dick Costello looking ecstatic about the billions of dollars they just made. Hmm. I wouldn't want to ring the bell. Because of the photo or just in general? Yeah, well, both. I don't know. I mean, do you think Steve Jobs rang the bell when uh, Apple had an IPO? I just Googled Steve Jobs Apple IPO, and all that comes up are pictures of Steve Jobs holding an iPod. <laughs> it thinks you spelled iPod Yeah, wrong. yeah. Because I think because their IPO was so long ago that it's, you know... It, it, was, in, it was in 76, right? Yeah, so it predates the... Uh, you know, now, the web. now, wait a minute. Was was the Nasdaq around back then? Uh, I don't know. I know for a while Apple traded on Nasdaq. Uh, I mean, that's what they are on now, isn't it? Are they? I don't even know. It, it used to be more of a difference. Now, who even knows? I mean, I don't. Right. Know, you know. Yeah. No. They're they've been on the Nasdaq for a long time, but I yeah. I don't know if that existed when they came out. So I mean, the yeah, Nasdaq doesn't have. have a bell. The Nasdaq is just a whole bunch of computers, right? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You might be right. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Uh, maybe they. Didn't. I, I just assume that they might have been on the New York Stock Exchange originally. Right. Right. Yeah, that doesn't seem like. Uh, I don't know. I Was don't know. Facebook Back then they Nasdaq? Uh. I think it must have been because that yeah. was the whole deal was that Twitter was going on the New York Stock Exchange right. to try and avoid the problems yeah. that Facebook had. Right. With the, with the whole, yeah, they're on the NASDAQ. Yeah. And that explains so that, why nobody rang the bell. Well, but I thought, see, now I thought I did hear something about them. So maybe NASDAQ does have a, a, a BS ceremonial bell. <laughs> it's like a guy in a data center. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Just powering on a computer. Yeah. And you just ding. Yeah. It's the startup chime. That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you start up the, the centrist 650 that runs the nasdaq <laughs> well for facebook yeah that's what it looked like it was right yeah. uh i had some about twitter the ipo but uh, i just avoid it. I, i'm not inter i don't really care about ipos I, I mean it's like i think that's part of what makes daring fireball and me a little different than a lot of tech sites like i don't really care uh, you know, yeah. Did you cover? Uh, did you mention it? At I, all? Don't I don't think, think I even, even linked to it at all. It just doesn't matter to me. The only the only aspect of it that I find interesting as a user is that it secures that Twitter is for the near future is going to remain an independent company. That there's nobody who's going to acquire them. Right. They won't uh, get bought up by Google or Facebook. But that's been clear for a couple of years. You know, the uh, the IPO to me as a user is really more of a a a cap 
on the assumption that they're going to remain independent as opposed to selling to Google or Facebook or something like that. But it's been clear for at least two years that they were going to stay independent. They got and, you know, and headed towards an IPO. Exactly. Right. You know, the other funny thing, and it, you know, it's like the, who is the Beatle, the Pete Best, you know. Oh, the fifth, yeah, the drummer, yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing that, I, you know, and you don't want to, I don't want to rub it in, you know, be, to, just because companies missed out on it or whatever. But it always seems like Yahoo is the, the Pete <laughs> Best, right? Like every single IPO, there's a story about how like six years earlier, I, I, I Yahoo almost bought Twitter for, I think it was like $12 million. They made an offer for, <laughs> yeah, right, right. And it well, was I, like, and they were like, maybe. And then like somebody at Yahoo was like, well, should we go to 14 million? Nah. nah. You know, but like, it was probably like, you know, like, Ed Williams or Jack Dorsey, who you know, are sitting there like, if they go to fourteen, we'll say yes. All right, all right. And then like the phone doesn't ring, and they're like, all right, all right. Well, back to work. I guess we're not. Yeah, back to work. Well, <laughs> well, the famous one for that is Google, right? Yahoo at yeah. least tried to buy Google, and then and now Google's eating their lunch. But right, and but yeah, it was right. you know, I think the Google offer. I I could be wrong, but it was preposterously low compared to where you know it was like fifty million dollars or something right. like that. But it you know, it's like in in the midst of me saying this particular sentence google has made 50 million dollars <laughs> right right at this point so you know it's it's pretty sad it just seems like it's always yahoo and who knows? yeah well but uh, well to be fair that's old yahoo hopefully yahoo's yeah. i i don't know how you feel about it i hope they do well uh i i i own a few shares of their stock but i hope they do well in the future because it's interesting to have a few competitors out there but that's that's yahoo from four or five years ago right well, and the other thing too is that my hopes for like a long-term success of Yahoo would be original products from Yahoo coming right, out, right? Not just and being purchasing, good. not just a bunch them of somehow, you know, yeah, finding the original things to buy and do. Well, but I mean, they bought Flickr, right? Yeah, and that's eh. what. What have they done that's original at this point? Well, Flickr is a good example. I mean, and you can't hold it against the current leadership because they've only, you know, Marissa Meyer's only, only been, been there, a year there for a year. But, uh, you know, Flickr is a good example where clearly what they should have done after they bought Flickr is, you know, the, the, there never should have been an Instagram. They, you know, right. them owning Flickr. Should have then, made Instagram. Right. And the rise of the iPhone. And, you know, it, it should not have taken been too hard for someone in 2007 you know, as Twitter was taking off and the iPhone was taking off and or 2008, let's say, you know, when the iPhone was kind of clearly, wow, this is a thing. Right. Uh, to say, well, Flickr should obviously be huge on the iPhone and what's the right format for that? And it's, you know, well, it'd be like Twitter, just a stream of images from your friends in a, you know, format that's friendly for phone size screens. Right. And make it easy to take pictures on the phone and send them there. And in the meantime, they spent five years with a design that was meant for, you know. Web laptop. in like 2005. Right. Yeah. Laptop displays and their mobile interface was designed for like flip phones. <laughs> right, right. All right. That's good. We made it in an hour. We only missed it by 49 minutes. <laughs>